0: I think that the world is tired of plastic Christianity. And what I mean by that is religious activity that for them doesn't connect the dots at all in their lives. It, it isn't relevant to them, to how they raise their children, what they do at work, worldviews that they adopt. And my guess is, is that our neighbors would be very much willing to trade in and trade up a lifestyle of big boats and cabins and serving self for something more compelling, something less fake. The problem is they have to know where to get it. And so we need to be that place. And that's why we're starting a series this morning called Authentic Christianity. And what we want to do is we want to take this incredible book of First John, and see the, that he is driving us toward a new kind of living, or might I say, a real way of living, because he wants us to have deep fellowship with Christ. And he's calling us back to orthodoxy in three important areas. Number one, in doctrine. We're going to learn in this book about true doctrine, real doctrine, truth. Secondly, in obedience. He's going to call us to this deep obedience, which is really challenging. And we're going to be really challenged throughout this book. And then thirdly, in the area of being absolutely and totally sold out for Jesus. So I'm excited about that. And in our church life, it's a perfect spot to do First John because we've just come from Nehemiah, where we saw God restore and rebuild Jerusalem. And so we're familiar now with the power of God to restore. He readied Israel to birth Messiah. And he can ready us now for our mission. And so, what is our mission? Our mission is to be like Christ, our mission is to enter into an authentic relationship with Jesus. And the text today is amazing and it's stunning. And it's beautiful because it's written by a man who was with Christ. He walked with Jesus. What would that have been like? And here's the bottom line today. He's saying to us, listen, I want you to have something that you can't get anywhere else. I want you to have a deep and abiding fellowship with God through Christ because Christ has done the work. So that's what I want for you too. Because if you can find that deep love for Jesus and walk in a way that has incredible depth to it, then you will have peace and joy. And best of all, you can enjoy that unfathomable gift of eternal life. So that's where we're going in this series. It's going to be a great ride. I'm excited about it. Let's take your Bibles and let's get started. Open, if you would, to 1 John 1, beginning in verse 1. That's page 1021 if you want to grab that Bible in the pew rack in front of you. First John 1, beginning in verse 1. So we're going into now a, a deep, intimate journey with Christ. We're coming out of darkness into light. And the way this particular passage breaks down is, verses 1 through 4 make up what we call the prologue. It's John establishing his credibility. It's, it's John saying... I walked with Christ, here's what we experienced, here's who Jesus is. And then in verses 5-7, through he begins his thesis and he tells us about fellowship with God that is life-changing. So you have the passage in front of you, put your finger in your Bible for a moment, let's do just a little bit of housekeeping. The first thing we must understand as we delve into this book is that the author is John, the close disciple of Jesus, not John the Baptist, but John, who also, of course, wrote the Gospel of John. Now, the reason this is important is because John, Peter, and James made up this kind of inner core of the disciples. They were the ones who were closest to Jesus. And John and James, Jesus called them. I love this title in Mark 3:17, "sons of thunder." Wouldn't you love to be called the son of thunder? Jesus called me that. They go like, what are you talking about? That's Paul. He he just sits around and watches baseball and eats bacon. What what, what do you mean, Son of Thunder? So these guys were powerful. Not only were they close to Jesus, John was an incredible apostle and did major damage for the kingdom. But when we're reading what we're going to read today, we understand that everything that we're reading is an eyewitness account. This is not third-hand. It's not theoretical. It's, I saw it, and I'm relaying it to you. And that, to me, is really exciting. You can't get any closer to Christ in in the way we live today because of our distance from his life on earth than to actually hear firsthand stories from a man who walked with him. That's the beauty of Scripture. So that's who wrote the book. Secondly, it's important to know that the book is written from Ephesus to an audience of believers. So this is the first century. It's probably about 90 to 95 A.D., and John is writing to churches in the area. He's writing to believers. He's writing to believers to call them back to orthodoxy, to refute false teachers. And some of these churches are probably the churches that we read about in the book of Revelation. And the false teaching that was going on in this time was something called Gnosticism. That comes from the Greek word gnosis, knowledge, and it asserts that we can find salvation through light that we have in our souls already. And that knowledge is more important than the physical activity of the body. So, for a Gnostic, you could think the right things and do whatever you wanted, and you would still be okay before God. Which, of course, John is saying, no, no, no you must repent you must walk with Christ in order to be saved but this is what he's refuting in this book and he's calling his readers back now ephesus was a was a huge city it was the major city in asia at that time it was a it was a bustling city but it was a city that was bent on idol worship the the economy of ephesus revolved around The making of idols and selling them because it housed this huge temple for the goddess Diana. This was such a huge place that it could accommodate 50,000 people that would come and worship Diana. That's bigger than Target Field. And this is the kind of environment from which John is writing. And he must have been very, very concerned for his sheep. He must have looked around and said, wow, this is all spinning out of control. Sound familiar at all? But he said, no, I'm going to call my people back. and We're going to find out what it's really like to be a Christian and what it means to be an authentic Christian. And then the third thing I just want to mention to you is that, again, I want you to keep in mind that this is a book based on personal experience. And so we're going to look now at the text. And I want you to keep this point in mind as we read because... It even brings the message out in a clear, more direct, and stunning way. So let's look at verses 1 through 4. This is the prologue. This is the part where John is saying, I have credibility. I was with Christ. And by the way, Christ is the answer for you. So verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we've seen it and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Of course, he's talking about Jesus. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be made complete. Now, if you're reading this in the first century, you're saying to yourself, wow, this person here, this guy has some credibility in my eyes. And John really stresses that idea of walking with Christ. He's some 60 years now past the death and resurrection of Jesus, and he's saying to you, Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be. In fact, I had a chance to walk with life. I had a chance to walk with eternal life. We touched his hands. We've seen him. We've heard him. So will you please listen to me? Because what I have to say to you is really, really important. Now, if you look at the first part of verse 1, commentators disagree as to whether the term that which is from the beginning denotes the truth of Christ in the gospel era, which means From the time he was born throughout his life or whether it refers to time from eons ago before the foundation of the world. And given the fact that John wrote in his gospel that beautiful passage in John 1 about Christ and about his essence. I think it's clear that he's talking about Jesus who is timeless. And the point is he's taking a shot at the false teachers. He's saying all of your stuff is new and trendy, kind of like the false teachers of our day. It always is spun in sort of a, I just figured this out, and everybody's going, oh, wow. And it's stuff like annihilationism, you know, no hell, um, scripture is not inerrant. And the list goes on and on. But John's saying, oh, your ideas sound really cool, but I'm, I was with a person who existed before the foundation of the world, for eternity. So, false teachers, you might, you might denounce someone you don't know, but I know him. And he's saying to his people, I want you to come and know this person as well. This is so time Look at verse 1 again. We have, the repetition is amazing. We have heard, we have seen with our eyes, we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This is his introduction to us. I love John Calvin's commentary. He said, you can read it like this. We announce to you the word of life, which was from the beginning. So if we were introducing Jesus, we'd like to honor Jesus tonight, who was with us from the beginning. Christ has always been here. He will always be here. The we that we're talking about here is the Apostles. And the amazing thing about the apostles is that they didn't just hear, they saw, they touched. And it's very clear in the way John phrases this, made manifest, seen, testify, proclaim. I've been there. I've seen it with my own eyes. I can only imagine being in synagogue on a Sunday, the way it worked a lot of times is that the... The Jewish believers would, would meet on a Saturday because we were transitioning from, from Judaism to, to Christianity. And then the Christians would come and meet in the synagogue on a Sunday. So they'd be sitting there, and somebody would stand up, and they'd be reading this. And I can only imagine that there were gasps and tears because John is bringing to life the Jesus that they love so deeply. I hope that these words bring Jesus to life for you as well. Because I want you to fall more deeply in love with Christ. I don't want you to skate on the surface. I don't want you to play Christianity. And what I mean by authentic is that it's real. It's a part of you. It is worked out in your actions. And Jesus is this person that John was so enamored with. In John's Gospel, chapter 1, 1 through 5. John really writes something that's very close to this. I want to show you this passage again. You know it, but this is the same author, different book, same essence. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I mean, you look at the wording. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. John is in love with Jesus. And that is so striking, because these guys, I mean, if you had to write a book, they, they saw the transfiguration. Remember that time on the mountain when Jesus previewed his kingdom? They saw that happen. They saw Lazarus raised from the dead. They saw the empty tomb. They, they saw the ascension. What a life. And they all paid for it dearly. They all paid with it, for it with their lives. But this is what they experienced. And yet here we are, 2,000 years later, and yes, it's harder for us to to get a grip on this because of the culture and everything like that. But Jesus, remember what he said to Thomas? When Thomas actually believed by touching Jesus, he said, that's great. But blessed are those who have not seen and believe. And so this is our opportunity to step back into the, the shoes of an apostle who was right there. And John is that person, and he's saying here, Jesus is real. And this actually is a, a little punch at an early form of Gnosticism called docetism, which claimed that Jesus' body wasn't earth it wasn't real. It was a celestial thing. Which is really odd. But you could claim that if you're after Christ, but John was saying that's crazy, because I actually touched him. And he was a real body. So he's an aging apostle. He's in Ephesus. He's writing these Things to believers, and if you look at verse four, this is where he finds his joy. And we are writing these things that that our joy may be complete. He's saying, "Listen, if you will come into fellowship with Jesus, if you will become a follower of Christ, if you would just walk in the light, our joy would be completed. My life is almost over." He's the last living apostle. And he's he's crying out to his flock. Please come back to what you know to be the truth. Please follow Jesus. And my joy as I leave this earth will be made complete. It's like the wish of a dying man. When I lived in Tucson, I had this guy. And he was a... I might have shared this before. If I ever share a story twice... Then just come up to me after and say, you're like Uncle Bob. You're sharing stories over and over again. Okay, I'll say if I'll stop. So this guy was a general. And um, he was a... The guy who oversaw the, the National Guard base in Tucson and went to our church there. He's dying of brain cancer. And I got to go read with him while his wife went out and did errands. We had, like, shifts. We'd go read to him and read the scriptures. And... One day he called me over and he goes, hey, Paul, come here. And I go, yeah, yeah, Ron, what, what's up? Hey, will you do something for me? And I'm going, well, yeah, well, anything. What are you, you going to say? Of course. What do you want? I'm thinking I'll go mow the lawn or be glad to you know, run and get you some medicine or something. And he goes, this year I want you to win one person to Christ and disciple them to maturity. I went, wow. Yeah, Ron. But the thing that really struck me is you talk about priorities. And that's the same thing with John. He's saying, hey, make my joy complete by being in Christ. And now he's going to give us the how. As he moves into his thesis, and this is where the challenge will begin. Because there are things in this book that are very hard to do. Love, obedience, you name it. But this is the how, and what it... what his hypothesis is, is this lasting fellowship with God is found in light. Capitalized Jesus. Lasting fellowship with God is found in light. Look at verses five through seven. And here he says, If you wanna if you want to call yourself a Christian, then you need to be walking in the light. Verse five This is the message we have heard from him, and proclaim to you that God is. Light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. Now, when John says, heard from him and proclaimed to you, no doubt he's referring to, ...to the gospel that Jesus professed to them. And though it's not expressly noted here, John also wrote in his gospel... ...so many other things happened that I couldn't put it in all the books in the world. And so likely he's just repeating back all of these messages from Christ that he had heard. But what is clear here is that John is saying that a Christian cannot truly claim to follow Jesus... When he or she is living in darkness. Verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him. While we walk in darkness. We lie. And do not practice the truth. So now. You see. He's getting to the nitty gritty. And here we go. John is going to hold nothing back. In this. Incredible book. So here's, here's what this darkness light thing means. At an intellectual level. It means that darkness is a lack of understanding of who Jesus is and the gospel, and light is a proper understanding of theology and doctrine. But at a spiritual level, it's that darkness stands for impurity, and light stands for morality. So if you are living in impurity outside of proper doctrine, then you dare not call yourself a Christian. And, again, we go back and, well, who are you to say that? Oh, have I told you who I am yet? (laughs) I have credibility because I heard Jesus say this to me, and I'm passing it now along to you. And so if you live a life where you're just twisting Scripture all the time to make it work for you, and and you're not trying to adapt to what you read here, and you're just making it something that bends and twists, then you're not walking and fellowshipping with Jesus. If you are calling yourself a Christian, but you're living purposefully without a conscience in immorality, outside of the lines of doctrine, then you are not fellowshipping with Jesus. That's what John is saying. You can't be in the dark and claim to be in the light. If you do, you're a liar. And that's what so many people seem to do in our culture. And and I would say this, that if you are cold toward Christ, if, if your heart is hardened over years of bitterness or anger, and you... Still call yourself a believer, but you have no intention of ever forgiving or adopting grace, and you have no intention of changing, then you are not fellowshipping with Jesus. But here's the good news. But, John says, verse seven, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all. Sin. So there is great hope. Because if we walk in the light of Christ, we are cleansed with his precious blood. And I love the idea of his blood freeing and cleansing. We saw this last week. I hope you were here to see the Adult Teen Challenge Choir. Because we heard this consistent theme of bondage breaking and chains breaking and freedom that came because of Christ's work in their lives. The beautiful thing about the Teen Challenge Choir, I like everyone who's sitting in the first three rows, by the way, but I like them better. Anyway, so, um, because here's the thing. They were raw and passionate, and they hadn't learned yet how to be a Christian. You know what I mean? And so, well, they kind of worshiped a little bit kind of crazy there, and, Wow, that the person even I think he swore. Like, I think he actually swore in church. Like, yeah, because they're they're raw. But the love for Christ just just came off them and lit up our whole church, did it not? This is authentic Christianity. This is what it means to walk with Jesus. And I want you to notice a, a really important nuance here. That when when John is talking about walking with Jesus, He's talking about walking in the light rather than according to the light. In the light. If we were walking according to the light, we would have to have sinless perfection. But if we're walking in the light, then we just rest in the power of Christ. Because here's the thing. The the Christian life is a journey journey that has all kinds of twists and turns. And so if we take this tact that we're going to make ourselves be a good Christian, then we're in for a world of hurt. Because we're going to find that in our own power, we simply can't. And then we're going to try harder. And we're going to realize that we can't. And then we're going to get discouraged. And then we're going to think that we're not doing enough. That will lead to shame and self-loathing. And that will lead to bitterness. And we won't be able to give grace to ourselves, which means we won't be able to give grace to others. And then you know what happens? We turn into the very people that the world is rebelling against. Legalistic Christians that have no grace. Because if you try to do it yourself, this is what's going to happen. But if you simply walk in the light, that means you just ride on the back of Christ and let Him plow through all this nonsense and garbage because you are forgiven and free. And, and I was, I was about playing some time, I was sharing this with somebody, sharing the gospel with them, and he looks at me and he goes, That doesn't sound possible. That sounds really loose, like you can do whatever you want. I said, no, I said it's actually really cool because it's actually the tightest form of Christianity because when you walk in the light, then you will be saved from Christ by Christ from all of that sin and bondage, and so then you can find rest when you're tired and you're you're you don't think you can go another step? You, you, oh man, I can't. I can't face another day as a single parent, man. I can't. I can't. I can't go to the hospital again to have that treatment. These kids drive me crazy. I love them, but I'd love to give them away for a week, you know, that kind of thing. You can have. You can have peace. That there's someone beyond yourself that has it all in control. This world needs peace. Christians need peace. I was following Beth Moore this weekend on, on Twitter, and she was upset. And uh, she's so funny because she's she wears her heart on her sleeve. And, and Beth Moore is a great teacher, you know. And she goes, uh, "I'm now getting off of social media because everyone on social media is mean." And then the next week, you know, next day she's showing pictures of her puppy, you know. So I don't think she got off of social media. But what she was saying is. If you're walking with Christ, you, you're, you're going to be different, and and peace comes over you, and there's a, a power to live a life that is beyond what you think, and there's joy then that comes. It's not it's not the kind of joy that you walk around. You know, some people have this. Like Pastor Neil, he did us all a favor. He took this class when he was a young kid, and he learned every christian song i don't know what it was it was some kind of a song teaching class so he knows every word to every song that's ever been written and he walks around the office singing them all the time so you know you're trying to study and all of a sudden you want to do power in the blood no you don't want to do that right now do you are you going to talk to me after we're done here yeah he's kind of going i don't know man dallas is a good place to live um but, you know, I'll be studying, and all of a sudden, here, there, power, power, power in the blood. You know, and then we know Neil's in the office, but he's got joy. He's got natural joy, and I admire that. That comes through Christ. It comes through his relationship with Jesus. Because here's the thing. In verse seven, the blood, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So here's where life changing power comes from. It is fellowship with God and it's enabled by the work of Christ. Jesus did it all. We're going to go to the communion table in just a few minutes here and we're going to be able to celebrate this fact that Jesus did it all. And so what does that mean as a church to walk in the light? Here's what I think it means. It means, first of all, that we have good doctrine and I think we do, but we stick to it and we don't cave in a culture that wants us to cave. Secondly, We learn to love each other well. And that's something that we're going to learn to do through this entire book. Love. And then I think it means if we're walking in the light, then we're going to be like John. We're going to be excited about our faith. And we're going to want to go out and we're going to want to change the lives of our neighbors. We're going to want to reach our community and make Jesus known. It's going to be a natural outgrowth of this walking in the light idea. And in just a couple of minutes, I'm going to call you to be a part of a community that's willing to go out and do that. And then as an individual, what does this mean? I think as an individual, it means that you stop trying so hard and you accept the fact that Jesus has already done the work. And what he's calling you to do is not to be perfect. He's calling you to have relationship with him. Because when you have relationship with him that is real, then you will live in proper doctrine. And so what I'm saying to you is this. Jesus is calling you right now to a depth that maybe you've never experienced before. And, and we see that all over this text. He wants us to have deep fellowship with God. And you know what's interesting is um, I was reading this blog a few weeks ago from a really credible writer. And he was saying, studies show that your neighbors actually want to talk to you about God. And we're always afraid to. You know, we're always walking around going like, hey, Joe, nice to meet you. And I see your lawn looks nice. And you're kind of going, should I talk about church? Should I talk about church? Should I talk about church? not Joe doesn't want to talk about church. Studies actually show that Joe does want to talk about God and church. Because they're looking for something more compelling. They're looking for a, a lifestyle that means something. You know, it's it's really great to go to the cabin and have a boat and go to the lake and, and be able to do all the summertime activities. But in the end, people feel empty and they want something more. And we have to be the place for them to get it. And so here's what I'm calling you to do this morning. Here's the last point. Becoming an authentic Christian means that we have to make a decision. We have to decide what we're going to be. Are, are we going to be plastic and fake? Or I love Tom Fody's artwork. Are we going to be stripped down and strong and authentic and something that's going to hold up? That's that's the decision we have to make as a church. So here's what I want you to do before we go to communion today. I want you to just close your eyes and I want you to pray. I want you to pray for a minute and then I'm going to call you. I'm going to call us together to a decision to be in an authentic relationship with Jesus. So why don't you just pray for a a minute here in silence, and ask him, what does this mean for me? And if you're compelled to tell him, yeah, I I really want this, I want this. Okay, keep your eyes closed. And we talked before about authentic Christianity for our church would mean coming together and loving each other and going out and making a mark for Jesus. But we need to do that as a team. And if you're willing to, through this book of 1 John, to give yourself to what God is teaching you, to, to submit to whatever you learn in this book that will enhance our community and that will help us to, to make Jesus known. And if you're willing to go on this journey together, with all eyes closed, will you just please stand where you are as a, as a, as a sign of commitment that, yes, I'm all in. I'm here at Ridgewood because we're going to do something. We're going to make something happen. And we're going to be authentic and change the world, and I want to be a part of that. If you're willing to do that, stand where you are. God, I see all these people standing all over the sanctuary. And let this be a marker. At this moment, we are saying we are a team. We want real Christianity. We want in depth discipleship that leads to salvations. We want real Christianity. We want to walk in the light. We want Jesus. And we stand here today together and we put our banner up and say, we are all in for you. And this is important. Thank you, God.